I always think it's such a privilege to be able to witness an experience like that in the life of the church and to see the continuation of scriptural practice because back in the book of Acts, the Bible says those who were the leaders were set aside by prayer, by the laying on of hands. So it's a joy to be in a fellowship that continues these teachings of the Word of God. And the officers the Lord raises up for us year by year, it's been a consistent blessing. Our text today is rather lengthy, so bear with us as we read through it this morning. But it comes from the book of Genesis, and it carries us back to our series, which began last year, and then we took a two-week hiatus, but spiritual warfare. And our new section in the series is what we have termed evidence of the conflict, In other words, the warfare that continues between the will of God and those who by His grace follow it and those who choose to go their own way. And so Genesis, the end of chapter 4, into chapter 5. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth lived, had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Now, I want to stop right here, keep the scripture up, I'll keep reading it. But I want to lay a foundation just in the verses we recently read. You see that the Bible says that after Cain and Abel had had their confrontation and Cain had murdered Abel, God gives to Adam and Eve another son in place of Abel whose name is Seth. And Eve sees Seth as the replacement for Abel. And it's interesting, if we were to read earlier in chapter 4, we would find the descendants of Cain. As we enter now into chapter 5, we're going to find the descendants of Seth. And what we have really is the evidence of conflict between God's will and those who seek to follow it and those, again, who go their own way. Cain is identified in the Scriptures as one who went his own way, not God's way. The Bible tells us, of course, that he murdered his brother. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. In fact, the Bible says, don't be like Cain, because he belonged to the evil one. And he murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And then if you go to the little book of Jude and verse 11, The Bible says those who teach error and falsehood, they go in the way of Cain. So Cain and his descendants typify that which goes contrary to God's will 
in spiritual warfare. However, with Seth, we have for many the link back to Genesis 3.15, when God had promised after Adam and Eve had sinned, and God says to the serpent who deceived Eve, he said there's going to be a conflict between you and your seed and the seed of the woman. And of course, we believe that ultimately is the Lord Jesus Christ. But Seth, replacing righteous Abel in his birth, identifies with the godly seed, if you will. Those who follow the Lord and are on the side of righteousness in the spiritual warfare. And then in his faith, because the Bible says, after Seth was born and grew up, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Or, some translate it, they began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. So that can be identification. Cain's descendants seem to become known as the sons of men, while Seth's descendants seem to become known as the sons of God. And then it could be congregation as well, because some Bible teachers believe when the Bible says there that they began to call on the name of the Lord, that it actually was the idea of personal and public worship of Jehovah or Yahweh. And so there were those who now were dedicated to following God by His grace, of course. And so you see, in his birth, in his faith, and even in his descendants, because the folks we're just about to read about in chapter 5, are all listed also in Luke chapter 3 in the New Testament as the ancestors of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent or Lucifer or Satan. So that's the background of spiritual warfare and evidence of conflict here. The unrighteous chapter 4, the righteous chapter 5. We continue here. It says, Seth after he fathered Enosh, and lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalil. See, he was a teen father. Canaan lived after he fathered Mahalil 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalil had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalil lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalil were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is illustrative of those who follow the will of God, those who are on the side of God's righteousness in the spiritual conflict. And the amazing thing is, the Bible says that his testimony 
as far as these verses are concerned, was that he walked with God. Now, the Bible sometimes will say special things about certain people that are not mentioned about everybody. But when it comes to Enoch, he and Noah are known as two who walked with God. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that specifically about others, but it does say that about these two. And Enoch this morning walked with God. Think of that as the pace. You'll notice the first verse again here. It says that Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. You know, walking is good. In fact, I found an article that says how good walking is for you. Did you know there are 10 benefits to walking? Walking is great exercise. It could be a calorie burner. Walking is good for your heart. Walking can increase your stamina. Walking can uh, promote mental health. Walking can possibly uh, strengthen your bones. It can possibly reduce type 2 diabetes risk. Also possibly reduce the risk of breast or colon cancer. It is safer than running. And uh, anyone can do it. And it's free. So there's lots of good benefits to physically walking. Well, there are good benefits to spiritually walking. You know, I find it interesting that this man who is identified in the Word of God as being a victor in the spiritual conflict is identified as one who walks with God. We might expect him to be a great champion of battle. We might expect him to be a long-distance runner or a sprinter spiritually, but the Bible says he walked with God. You know, I think of the tortoise and the hare in Aesop's fable. And while the hare sprinted ahead with all of his speed, then slowed down and lost the race, the old tortoise just kept walking along. And you know, my observation spiritually throughout the years in the church of Jesus Christ is often the people who really get the work done for God, who really have the victory consistently, or at least regularly, in spiritual warfare, are those who just keep walking for the Lord. Oh, you don't see them sprinting. You don't see them on the trophy stand because they ran a great race or they had a great victory, but they just keep walking for God. I'm going to borrow from Jerry's sermon last week how he illustrated faith with mentioning a few names in our congregation. I don't want to embarrass anyone, and I certainly realize that anybody I mention is illustrative of many. But you know, I appreciate, how many of you like to come and have refreshments on Sunday morning? Absolutely. I know you do. I want you taking down the donuts and balancing it out with a couple of grapes. I appreciate that balanced diet, okay? But you know, I appreciate Chuck and Dee North. For years now, they've come and they coordinate, and while others help them, they primarily, just Sunday by Sunday, are here to make sure that this ministry takes place, the cafe service. They're here early. They buy the foods. They help coordinate. They often do the work. You know, I appreciate that. Necessarily not ever up front to preach or sing, but walking the walk. And then I think of walking the walk from the perspective, you know, it's pretty easy to talk the talk. In fact, can I be honest with you this morning? It's much easier for me to talk the talk than it is to walk the walk. And I appreciate the fact when the Bible says this fellow walked with God. He walked the walk. 
I thought of a number of verses in the Scripture that identify walking, and it's important spiritually. I think in Genesis, in chapter 3, in verse 4, how the Bible says that the Lord God, His sound was heard as He came walking in the garden. Do you realize in the very beginning of the creation described for us in Genesis with Adam and Eve, that was God's desire that He could walk in fellowship with Adam and Eve? That is always the desire of the Godhead. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, the Bible says, if we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit. Did you know what the Lord Jesus said in Revelation 3 and verse 4? He said regarding the overcomers that they will walk with Him dressed in white. God desires our walk with Him. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse 31, They who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings of evil, eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, He showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I'm the light of the world. He who follows after me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the term walk literally means to tread all around. It's not just the idea you took a couple of steps. It's like a whole journey. In fact, some of the newer translations, like the NIV, translate it from walk actually into live. Frankly, that's one time I'm really for the ESV because they kept the term walk because that's literally the Greek term there. But it carries figuratively the idea of your walk is your life. Vines in New Testament words, he said that walk literally means the idea of the whole round of the activities of an individual's life. Your walk with the Lord, if you will. Your life in the Lord and for the Lord. That's the idea of a pace that God blesses. I came across a website that gave some pictures about walking with God, and I don't have those for you today, but I love the one that it said walking with God is really the idea of a daily walk. And I thought about David and his daily walk with God because I was thinking, how can you and I just really walk with God? And it is a, a daily walk, a daily togetherness. For example, Psalm 1, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scorners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word. And in his law he meditates day and night. That's consistency. That's regularity. That's a daily walk, if you will. So being in God's Word or hearing God's Word or somehow taking in God's Word consistently is walking with God. And then we find David talking about prayer and its consistency. He says in Psalm 55, verse 17, evening, morning, and at noon will I call out of my distress to you. In other words, David consistently talked to God in prayer. Even praise. 
David said in one, Psalm 119, verse 164, he said, seven times a day do I praise you. Now, I don't know if he meant that he had seven times listed on his daily calendar, or I don't know if he's talking about a number of completion in the perfection of his praise, or I don't know if he's talking about seven just in the sense of I regularly praise you, but we get the idea David consistently Praise God. David consistently prayed to God. David consistently had time focused on God's Word. That's the idea of the pace of consistency or daily walking with God. And then I think not only of consistency, but I think of companionship when it talks about walking in the Bible with God. And again, I go to Micah chapter 6, where it says, He has showed you, a man, what is good, to walk humbly with your God. That's a privileged walk. I love the fact that Jerry, at the very beginning of our service, said, it's a privilege to walk with God. And you see, the very outset of spiritual warfare came because of pride. When Satan, or Lucifer as he was known then, was not willing to walk and experience the very blessing of the presence of the Almighty, but said, no, I will be like him. When instead the Bible says to you and I, walk humbly. Oh, the privilege of walking with God. You know, I thought about it. I, I've never walked with an American president. I've never even walked with an American governor. But I can say humbly this morning, at least at times, I've walked with God. That's what's available to us. It's not only a privileged walk. It is a parallel walk, side by side. You see, the Bible says walk humbly with your God. I, you know, I've experienced marriage twice now. And it's really an amazing thing the fleshliness of my body and spirit. When my wife says, can we go to the mall? And I find when we go to the mall that it's not always a parallel walk. Because if she's in the women's section, I tend to kind of shuffle along behind. Can you keep up, dear? All right. Oh, boy. But if it's my time and we're going to the food court, come on, hon, keep up. Can't wait to get to Chick-fil-A. You see, it's much better when we walk side by side. Occasionally in the evening when the weather's appropriate, and today would be a good day to get out and take a walk, by the way. But you see, we'll walk, and when we walk together and we come to a turn in the road or to go this way or that way, when we're side by side, I'm able to say, Dear, which way would you like to go? And you see, illustrative is spiritually, sometimes we're way ahead. God, it's not so much what you want, it's what I want. Or sometimes we're way behind. God, I know what you want, and I don't want to do it. Instead of just side by side, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I'll try to do it by your grace. It's not only a privileged walk, but a parallel walk. It's a personal walk. Walk humbly with your God. You know, I love Psalm 23 where David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I love John 20 and verse 28 where Thomas 
saw the resurrected Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. I love the story of the man who was standing gazing in an art gallery in a picture or a painting of the crucifixion. And a little girl came by and she looked at the picture as well. And she said, what is that? And the man said, well, little girl, don't you know? He said, that's a picture of Jesus. He's on the cross. Well, why is he there? Well, he's dying for the sins of the world. And the little girl quizzically looked at him and said, did he die for you? And you know, you can come into this fellowship and you can know that Christ died for the sins of the world. But I ask each of you this morning, have you come to the point of acceptance and trust? He died for me. That's my only hope of salvation. And then it is a passionate love. I love Luke 24, when the resurrected Christ appears to the two disciples headed down the road of Emmaus, and they're walking with him. They don't recognize who he is, and he's talking about the things that just happened in Jerusalem, about his own crucifixion, and then he's talking about his Old Testament prophecies about himself. They don't even know who he is. They get to the house. They ask him to come in. He breaks the bread, and he disappears out of their sight. And when, they're, when he's gone, they realize they were just in the presence of Christ. They just walked down the road with Jesus, and they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road as they walked and talked together? And I can testify to you this this morning. If you get in the Word and you get in prayer and you'll praise the Lord and you'll be with those who are walking with God, sooner or later at some point your heart is going to get on fire and you'll find times that the tears will come or you'll find times the shouts will come, or you'll find times that confession comes. You'll find times your head is bowed in an awed silence as you walk in the presence of the Almighty. Oh, to walk with God will stir you. You see, you might think walking sounds boring. Not when you walk with God. Not only do I see the pace, but I see the pleasure. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. You see, in this, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Matthew 3 and verse 17, when the Lord Jesus is baptized, the Bible says the Holy Ghost comes down on him like a dove and the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased. You come later on to the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is there and Elijah and Moses come and meet with him and Peter, James, and John are overwhelmed and they fall down and a cloud of God's glory is there. And then the Bible says that when Peter suggests they build a temple or a little tabernacle for all three of those fellows, Jesus and, and Elijah and Moses, the Father speaks and he says, This is my son. Hear him, for in him I'm pleased. You see, Enoch's a type of Christ as one who pleased God. The Lord Jesus could testify himself, John 8 and verse 29, I always do those things that please the Heavenly Father. How do you and I please God? Well, the Bible says sometimes it's a choice. Paul said in Galatians 1, do I please men or do I please God? Sometimes to please God means you'll have to displease men. 
because you'll be walking in a different direction than they are. Pleasing God and be giving an offering to someone where it'll be really a blessing. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, the gifts that the church from Philippi sent to Paul, he said they are a fragrance to God, well-pleasing to him. The Bible says when we praise him with the sacrifice of our lips and when we do good and we share with others, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, he says with these things, God is pleased. And then just to live a life in accordance with the scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, Paul said, I've taught you how to live in order that you may please God. Enoch, in his walk, pleased the Lord. That led to the promotion. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. You see, Genesis 5 is like a Bible graveyard. You come along, here's Adam. He lived, he died. Here's his son Seth. He lived, he died. Here's his son Enosh. He lived and he died. And you come on down. He lived and he died. He lived and he died. He lived and he died. All of a sudden you come to Enoch. He lived, but he didn't die. The Bible says in the New Testament, God translated him. God took him away so that he did not taste of death. We don't fully understand how that happened or fully understand where he went in the presence of the Lord, but we simply know that different than the others, he did not die. God blessed him in that way. And in that sense, he's a reminder to us of Elijah. He's the one other man in Scripture who did not die die as we know it, but the Bible says a chariot of fire and horses came down and swept him up to heaven. He is a type of those who are believers, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, who at the rapture do not taste death, but are caught up alive into the presence of the Lord. Paul said in Corinthians, he said, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He said in Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Promoted in that unique way. That's why some people believe when you read Revelation 11 about two witnesses that come with great power in the final days and they bring God's power upon the earth and the Antichrist ultimately has them killed, but three days later they're resurrected. Many believe those two witnesses are Elijah and Enoch because they're the two men who have not tasted of earthly death. And Hebrews says, it is appointed unto men once to die. I could buy that except for the fact that obviously there will be believers in the, in the Bible who, who, who will not taste, the believers according to the Bible, who will not taste of death because of the rapture to come. So I don't know if it's Enoch or not. I just know this. God took him without him tasting death in a special blessed way. One person put it this way. He said, you see, every day God and Enoch would meet and walk talk together. And it got so good that the walks got longer. Have you ever been walking with someone you kind of hated to see the journey come to an end? Because you've had such a good time together. And it's said that as God and Enoch each day walked further and further, finally one day God said, you know what, Enoch? We've walked so far. We're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? He was translated 
He didn't see tents. The death. He had this testimony. He was a man of faith. He was a man that pleased God. You know, I love what Jerry said last week about faith. It's believing that God is who he says he is, and God will do what he says he'll do. I could phrase it this way. What you do, you do for God's sake. It makes me cringe sometimes when believers not thinking say, oh, for God's sake. I'd much rather it be that our lives are lived for God's sake because we believe in Him. And we believe that He responds to those who keep His promises. Even when the walking is not easy. Even when we seem like we ought to sprint or run backwards in the spiritual warfare. We just keep walking the best we know how. That pleases God. And that's really often the pace to spiritual victory. Could I say one more thing about walking? It ought to be consistent, our walk with God. It ought to be about companionship, time actually spent with God, and God with us. But I'd like to talk about conformity, too. If you ever see somebody say, man, they walk just like so-and-so. I'll tell you, one of the proudest moments in my life, and I've Rarely ever talked about this, but I have a grandson. And I don't talk about him much anymore. He's getting too old. He might hear me. <laughs> but, you know, one of the proudest days of my life, his mother said, good night. My name is Poppy in the family. And she said, he even walks like Poppy. I said, oh, I like that. See, Alan Taft is an old preacher. When I was a young evangelist, traveled for five years preaching revival meetings in churches across our nation, went up to the Wheatlands of eastern Washington State, little old tiny Baptist church. Brother C. Allen Taft had moved up there to retire. He got involved in that church, and next thing you know, he had that church going. <laughs> he invited me up to preach some revival meetings. I used to spend a long time. He was in the late 70s. We talked together, prayed together. Brother Taft said to me, Tim, I want to tell you a story. He said, I was a young preacher in Michigan. He said, my little daughter Marion, now a grown woman, but at that time five years old, he said, she and I were walking down the street, her hand in mine. He said, suddenly she just stopped. He said, I looked down at her, and she was staring. So I looked to see what she was staring at. And there coming toward us, shuffling on the sidewalk, was the kindliest old man you ever saw. He had beautiful white hair, long and combed back a scrubbed pinkish face, sparkling blue eyes, a sweet smile, an old but pressed suit, a white shirt and a tie. And he was shuffling toward us. And he said, Miriam pointed at him, and she said, Daddy, is that God walking down the street? And he said, Brother, that was almost 50 years ago. And you don't know how many times I've prayed that I would just at some point walk close enough to God that somebody might look at Seattle and Taff and say, is that God walking down the street? Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Spiritual warfare. 
Spiritual victory? Conflict? You betcha. Sometimes we need to run. Sometimes we need to sprint. Sometimes we just need to stand still. But I'd say overall, walk on.